Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Keith Law, and welcome to the Keith Law Show, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. My guest today will be Zach Buchanan. He works with me here at The Athletic, covers the Diamondbacks. We'll talk a lot about some Diamondbacks headlines and another few headlines from around the majors, including some prospect stuff around the Diamondbacks, because if you're not a Diamondbacks fan, you might be a fantasy player. They have some pretty interesting young guys on their roster. If you are also a subscriber to The Athletic, you can see a post from me on that minor trade between the Rays and Brewers from the other day that sent Willie Adamas up to Milwaukee. And also I address why the Rays might have called up shortstop prospect Taylor Walls instead of number one overall prospect Wander Franco. Later this week, I will have my first mock draft for this year's Major League Baseball draft. The draft is later than usual. It's in July 11th. So that's why I'm doing my first mock uh, this week, the week of May 24th. That'll be the first, probably a four that'll do between now and the actual draft. I will say I'm at least starting to hear enough information on the top 10 or so picks. I have rough ideas of which players will at least go up there. But of course, it's a first mock draft. We're still six weeks out. There will probably be a lot of changes between now and then. So I find it a useful exercise to get some of these names out there. But I am fully prepared for a lot of this to turn out to be wrong once we get to draft day. Also, with Father's Day coming up, I want to mention again, I have two books out, including my second book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves, which just came out in paperback in early April. You can find that and Smart Baseball, my first book, at any independent bookstore, including if you don't have one near you, check out bookshop.org to purchase the books and help support independent bookstores around the country. Well, now it's my pleasure to be joined by my colleague and friend, Zach Buchanan. He is here at The Athletic. He covers the Diamondbacks. He's also written a lot of really interesting articles on the state of minor league baseball. You can follow Zach, and you should follow Zach, on Twitter, at ZH Buchanan. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's start with the piece you wrote recently. You've done a little bit on what's happened in the minors uh, with the with minor league contraction and teams losing affiliations and the entire league of the Pioneer League, which was one of the low short season leagues coming into uh, well coming out of 2019, the last time we saw them play, the entire league lost its affiliation. They are now a I think they're called a partner league, which is okay. Sure, you're an independent league now, and you wrote a really interesting piece on sort of what happens to you as a team owner when you just lost your affiliation and suddenly you have to go find your own players, affiliated teams. The players are handed to them by the parent club. Now they're in a situation where they have to field their own team and winning suddenly becomes much more of a priority than it was previously when it was about developing players. So you know, for folks who haven't read it, what was sort of, what's the general message that came away from, uh, from you looking at those clubs? Yeah. I'd say the general message is it's, it, it is a big old headache that they've never had to deal with before, but it's also, it's more fun. I mean, it's all of us who play like fancy baseball or sim league baseball or something like we like 
kind of playing GM a little bit and they get to do that to a certain extent. I mean, these are not, you know, you're not going out and recruiting some guy who's going to be a future Cy Young winner or something. Uh, these are all guys who have the, the rule is they have to have three or fewer my, uh, years of professional experience. Um, and so you're, you're getting guys who are like in their early twenties um, and you're, you know, you're putting together basically guys you can pay the minimum wage in the States that the pioneer league plays. It's not a lot of money, but you do get to go out and just put your own team together and feel like, you know, as a GM who previously in the pioneer league, you're, you're dealing with the stadium operations, you're dealing with, promotions and getting people into the stands and then everything that happens on the field is someone else's job that doesn't even work for your franchise now you have a hand in this um and to a certain extent they what what they do is they hire a good manager with independent ball experience and that manager has a bunch of contacts and they kind of reach out and put things together and it's a lot of almost sight unseen things. Oh, this college coach said this guy was really good. Maybe we have a spot for him. It's hard to get people up to Missoula for a lot of tryouts and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but it, they, they are the people I talk to, they're having a lot of fun just putting together their roster and they think that it'll actually improve the on-field product, uh, which used to be kind of 19 and 18 year olds getting their first taste of pro ball. And now it's going to be guys who are a little bit older, a little more polished, maybe less upside, but it should be a more competitive league overall. So we'll see. Did you get a sense from the folks you talked to also about, you know, their viability? Cause I think the thing that a lot of folks didn't, you know, maybe average readers uh, didn't understand. So just based on questions that I would often get, they wouldn't necessarily know, wait, who, who pays the, who picks the players who pays the players previously. If you, own in a team in a, an affiliated team team with an affiliation with a major league club then they pick the players they pay the players you're responsible for all the other expenses essentially and so turning a profit was actually relatively easy for a lot of these clubs independent ball is a completely different business model where now you've got this you know not insignificant expense players there don't make very much money but it was zero it went from zero to something that is not zero and suddenly now you you got to get a lot more people in the stands, which to me would – my assumption would be you'll get more people there primarily if you win. Um, you know, Maybe if you give out free beer or something else, but probably winning is the most direct way to boosting attendance. It is, it, although they, I mean some would argue that maybe – I'm not sure I would, but some would argue they've adopted a bit of a gimmick for this. I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about what they're doing in extra innings where there are no extra innings now in the Pioneer League It's uh, because if you run through your pitching staff – uh, in Ogden, Utah, it's hard to get like three new pitches up. There's no farm director to send you some guys up from the complex leagues. So uh, they're, you're going to what they're calling a, a, a home run knockout round. They can't call it a home run derby because that's copyrighted. Um, but it's basically, it's basically, you know, settling the game after nine innings via a home run derby just to save pitchers so you're not having to to basically put pitchers on the injured list you're not having to go find replacement pitchers because as an independent club uh you don't have access or or really the financial wherewithal to to kind of go replace your whole pitching staff like uh, a rookie advanced team might have been able to do an affiliated ball uh, and also roster sizes are smaller i think before you could have something like 35 players on a pioneer league roster uh, and a certain amount of those guys were active every game. And now it's between 22 and 25 players per roster. And so that really limits 
I mean, if you think about it, maybe some teams have only 22 players on their roster. I mean, that's four less than major league clubs get mm-hmm. at, at a less polished level from where maybe you go through pitching a little more quickly. So they have adopted some things that they, they view as measures toward their own survival so they don't overextend themselves and, and are struggling to, to put healthy players on the field. The uh, actually, it's I think yesterday the first we had the first game decided by a knockout. Uh, I just pulled up. I was just checking to make sure that they'd actually started. Their first games were over the weekend, I guess. And Rocky Mountain beat Grand Junction on a fourth swing homer. I'm reading the headline right from the Pioneer League's website. So it's the first time a professional baseball game has been decided by not a home run derby, actually a knockout, um, which I'm fine with. By the way, people were like, "You must hate this. You're such a purist." I, I hope I'm not really a purist. I'm old, not quite that old yet. Because you want this in independently, right? This should be, you know, all the Bill Vec ideas, all the innovation, all the you know, try wacky stuff. I'm fine with that. I do not want to see a World Series game in the majors decided by knockout. But in the Pioneer League, sure, it makes more sense. It's probably more interesting. It makes more sense from what you just said, the pitching perspective, which uh, – you know, I think was something we really, yeah, 10 years ago, people probably didn't think about that. Well, you just leave the last guy out there until his arm falls off. We're not doing that anymore. So I'm completely fine with that. Um, I mentioned before you, you cover the Diamondbacks for the athletic and the Diamondbacks are, shall we say, bad. So, so far, any, definitely. Yeah. Do you have anything? I'm, I want to ask you about one or two specific guys, but sort of any general thoughts on the Diamondbacks? If, if there is a Diamondbacks fan listening to this podcast, hello. Uh, thank you, one person, for joining us. <laughs> this this fan would like some positive news on the Diamondbacks. What is your most positive thought right now in the state of Arizona, on the, of the team, not the state? They should be getting healthier, um, which is something we keep saying, and then they, they get healthier, and then they, they don't. They get less healthy. So Taylor Widener comes back from a groin injury that's cost him three weeks or whatever, uh, and then he lasts less than three innings or whatever it was yesterday and re-enters the groin. We, we haven't found out yet what that means for him, whether they caught it early or something. But it, it just seems like there's always another hit coming. Um, but they, they should be getting healthier. Christian Walker should be back soon. They're thinking Carson Kelly should be back soon. Carson Kelly's been a, an incredibly important bat for them, a very surprisingly important bat for them. I'm a big um, fan. But it, we've really just seen them, like a lot of teams, just – kind of their depth get exposed and I wouldn't say they had bad depth coming into the season they had a lot of these high minors guys who were ready for maybe a little bit more of a look than they've gotten some of those guys have been impressive Paven Smith has been impressive Josh Rojas especially has been impressive but they were never intended to lean on all of these guys with at the exclusion of most of their kind of established major leaguers for more than a month which is basically what they've had to do and they just haven't been able to recover from from losing so many important players. No Cole Calhoun, no Zach Gallen, uh, now no Luke Weaver, no Cattell Marte for a month. Um, their bullpen was already young, and then at the beginning of the season, they didn't have their three most established relievers, and so you're just going with basically a bullpen full of guys who have zero to two years of experience, uh, and it's exposed them. They just don't have the depth to keep up with some of the other teams who have also been hit by injuries. Um, I'd be surprised if once they get healthy, if the injuries do abate at some point, if they continue to be this bad. Um, I, I was surprised they were that as bad as they were last year, and they were very healthy last year. And the argument from from the Diamondbacks always was, well, it was a weird season. There were some weird things going on, which I think is a reasonable explanation. 
Um, and they're saying, well, I, we think with 162 games, you know, we things would have been different. And so far that has not been the case. But on the flip side, they don't have any of their good players on the field and haven't for a long time. Um, so I don't know what to, to make of them. Right now, they are definitely not a, a good baseball team. But they're, they also don't have like their six most important players or six, maybe six of their 10 most important players on the field. And so how do you judge them fairly off of that? So you mentioned Paven Smith, who you know, one of the things I'd heard from Diamondbacks people was that at the alternate site, they'd really worked with him on his swing and trying to, this was a guy who had, he was a top 10 overall pick in the draft out of University of Virginia because, or a major reason was that he re- showed really good exit velocities in college. And they believed he was a guy who wouldn't punch out very much, which has been true, certainly relative to, you know, everybody strikes out in the majors right now, but He's not striking out very much. He's not walking. He's not really hitting for power. And there was this expectation. I had the expectation from the Diamondbacks people. Nope. He's worked on his swing. He's going to get the ball in the air a little bit more. And some of that power. And I didn't think he was ever going to be a 35 homer guy, but he could be a 25 homer guy. And with that, and just generally hard contact, that's probably a regular. Now it's only, I'm looking, he's only played 45 games this year. It's not even 200 plate appearances. But where do you think he is? Do you think that that's... Has that not carried over? Are we just not seeing what the Diamondbacks said they saw at the alternate site last year? Because at 25, it's kind of getting to the point where for Smith's, let's go. There were points earlier in the season where I think we saw some of the power they were talking about where um, he was one of the league leaders in hard hit rate for a while. I haven't looked that up in a bit to to see where he ranks anymore. But he was really tagging the ball. He had uh, he had some good exit velocities. He was getting a lot of doubles, and uh, he might even have a triple in there. And he had some home runs, um, but it, not he wasn't kind of raking in the home runs or anything. The surprising part was that he was not walking, because that's the thing that he was known so much for is his plate discipline. Uh, he, he ran good on base percentages in the minor leagues, even when he was struggling to hit for any power. Uh, so we've seen a little bit of it, and it's also. I don't know how much of this has translated to his hitting, but they've asked him to play some positions. He's never really played that much before. He he started playing a lot of right field because Cole Calhoun was hurt. Then uh, Catel Marte and Tim LaCastro both went down and suddenly Paven Smith was the starting center fielder for a stretch of games. And he'd never played that position ever. And he looked pretty decent. I mean, I, I can't think of a play where he really got exposed and they've had some guys get exposed playing out of position this year. Uh, and so it's been really impressive what he's done with his athleticism of being able to become um, a little more positionally flexible. Uh, but I don't know how much that, I mean, that's got to carry over on a young player when you're worried about learning a new position, you're hitting for the first time in the major leagues. Um, but I, I think when I, when I watch his at bats, I, I see there's a future, there's a big leaguer in there. And I, I'm not sure if he's an everyday player or, or where he might be an everyday player. But I, I do think the narrative on him has changed a little bit since he went seventh overall and then immediately seemed to have some weaknesses in terms of hitting for power and at the time playing a position where you really needed him to hit for power. And I think that that's turned a little bit and he doesn't look like as much of a bust. He, he looks like of this group of young guys they have, the Josh Van Meters, the Andrew Youngs, the, that would have included Wyatt Matheson, although he, he got traded now. He, he's one of the more impressive guys along with Josh Rojas that looks like, okay, you might have something in this guy. The other guy I wanted to ask about, and this is actually a reader question from last week. Uh, somebody asked me and I did a chat and somebody said, if, you know, why do the Diamondbacks have Dalton Varsho in the majors if they're kind of not going to play him? I said, 
I don't actually know. But then I realized I was talking to you today, and we just asked that question to you. Why do the Diamondbacks have Dalton Varsho in the majors if they're not going to play him every day? Uh, I think because his at-bats have not been the greatest so far, but Carson Kelly is injured, and so they need a second catcher. Uh, and so they can get him some time behind the plate. This was a subject of, of discussion going into camp where, uh, you know, they have Stephen Vogt, they have Carson Kelly. And the question was, okay, can Varsho find his way onto the roster playing the outfield like he did a lot of last year? And the Dimebacks were pretty much saying he needs to catch. And if there's not a path for him to catch, he's going to be in the minor leagues. I would guess that when Carson Kelly comes back, Dalton Varsho will go back down to the minor leagues and be the primary catcher because they really want that tool to come along for him because it, it makes everything else that he does so much more valuable when you can do it out, out of a catch as a catcher. And Stephen Vogt's going to be a free agent next year that immediately opens up a healthy chunk of playing time as a platoon partner with Carson Kelly. So it, it, it has been a little weird that he has been playing a bunch, but they've also been like in desperate times uh, they've lost eight in a row and they're trying to play the guys who are ha- have a chance of producing. And that has not been Varsha right now. Um, and so he, he, he's getting uh, some time behind the plate, which is valuable to him. But I, I think they've always viewed his time up here as a, a temporary measure. Uh, early on, it was there was some room created because the Castro and Ketel Marte were both, both down. And so there was some space for him in the outfield with Cole Calhoun out as well. And now with Carson Kelly out, there's some time behind the plate for him. And uh, Carson Kelly's going to be back really soon from his broken toe. And I, I would guess that we're going to be seeing Dalton Varsho playing every day in the minor leagues after that. Yeah, that would be good for his development because I do think he's a great prospect. He had, um, yeah, well, technically he's no longer on my prospect rankings, but a great young player, I think, with a lot of promise. Um, so obviously, covering the Diamondbacks, you see a lot of the NL West, and I know you've seen the you've seen the Diamondbacks against the Dodgers, seen the Diamondbacks against the Padres already this year. It looks like you have not seen the Giants. That's next, right? Is this going to be the first time you see the you watch the Giants? Yeah, uh, I have not watched the Giants at all. Uh, yeah, other than Trevor Bauer crane in his ear to hear the crowd the other day ah yes of course of course so well let's just limit it right now to padres versus dodgers just sort of general thought since those i mean they might be the two best teams in the national league um you know and the giants obviously are playing extremely well i would argue at least on paper i don't think they're with those other two clubs but just in general takes on your thought on padres versus dodgers who would you pick say the rest of the way or to end up winning that division with the understanding, they probably could both go to the playoffs. Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that's tough. Um, I know we talk about like when you pull up the the, the IL rankings, like who has lost the most <laughs> days on the IL? It's the Padres, yeah. but that that's that's kind of skewed because they, Mike Clevenger's in there, and yeah, there, there's some players that they they knew were going to be out, and they kind of planned around. Um, mm-hmm. If if we're going the rest of the way, I, I think I'll still take the Dodgers because until someone knocks them off. They've, mm-hmm. they've won the division every year for eight years until someone knocks them off. I don't know why I would doubt them. They, they're only a game behind the Padres in the standings. They're going to get Cody Bellinger back. Corey Seager is going to come back at some point. They, they've, they've got some guys down and, and their depth for the first time has kind of been exposed for the first time. I can maybe remember ever them feeling like they've got some guys yeah. out there who are not performing that I've never heard of. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think I will take them the rest of the way. I, I think they're just too many good players when they're all healthy um, that uh, I think they edge out the Padres. If you're asking me like right now, who's better? I think it's the Padres. So I think they have a more complete roster at the moment. 
Um, and it's really close between those two. Um, I, I'm, I like, I'm not sure which pitching staff I would take over mm-hmm. like a three or four game series. I mean, that's really tough. Um, but until someone beats the Dodgers, you got to pick the Dodgers. Yeah. I kind of understand that. And as somebody who's sort of been a, a bit of a, you know, for lack of a better word, maybe a bit of a cheerleader for the Padres the last couple of years that they hate is after AJ Preller had kind of a rough first year where he was trading for, you know, trading prospects for veteran players and they could have had trade. They had Trey Turner dealt him away and it's like nope this rebuild now they're doing it correctly it's finally coming to fruition and I look at them and I look at the Dodgers and you know it's almost like my heart says the Padres and my head says the Dodgers you rationally this Dodgers team once they get mostly healthy they're probably still the best team in baseball they might be the two best teams in baseball certainly I feel like there's a good argument those are the two best teams in the National League um, particularly if you say okay in a couple of weeks and these teams are mostly healthy Uh, and I you know just to follow on something you said too looking at the IL rankings the il standings is that the most important stat this year it's got to be these injuries are nuts and what what it is i got so i had to do the the nl half of our power rankings um oh, okay that went up went up today along with kit and mcgrath and mm-hmm. what's what's funny is like so many teams are dealing with this but what, it, what who's most embarrassing for is the teams that are healthy and are still bad like everybody else <laughs> has an excuse but there are some teams out there that just really haven't lost that many guys and they're still struggling really hard. Yeah. Um, and so the, these injuries are nuts. I mean, I feel like there's been a million hamstring injuries. Um, how many guys have we seen come off the IL and then go immediately back on like mm-hmm. Christian Yelich did? Um, there was someone else who, who did it. George Didn't Springer Taylor Widener basically just do that? He might have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Christian Walker did that. He came off yep. with an oblique, lasted like a week and went back on. Um, and so it's I don't know what the explanation for these injuries is. Um, it's got to have something to do with last season. Right. Like in, in playing so few games. But I don't know how straight of a line you can draw there to, you know, all these guys. You know, if you're talking about like. I'd, if they had more injuries toward the end of the year, they're playing a, a kind of a, a volume of games they hadn't played yet, but we're still, we're not even to 60 games yet. So why didn't guys get hurt this way last year? It's so weird. Um, and it's, it's definitely altering the competitive landscape. Um, so yeah, I think the aisle standings have to be the most important thing. And I think for some teams that have underperformed this year, it's going to give their GMs kind of an easy get out of jail free card of like, well, I mean, did you see who we had on the AIL? You know, we didn't have these guys in the field. Of course we didn't perform up to expectations. Yeah. We had an all-star team on the IL this year. Like, yeah, absolutely. And there's some teams that think, I think could actually reasonably make that argument. And then there's some teams that are probably just bad. I mean, that to me is, I wonder how, will there be certain teams where the owner looks and says, Hey, we were pretty healthy and we still stunk. Yeah. Look at the Phillies. They haven't like missed, they're missing some guys. Real Muto's yeah, out right everybody now. Everybody yes. out. But they've got a lot. Most of their best players are healthy and they're playing, and they've been a middling club. Yeah, they have a below the median. They're below the median in offense and in they're right about at the median, I think, in uh, in runs allowed. I guess that's actually I'm looking at the major league median, which is not great, right? You'd expect NL teams to be a little bit lower because no, for now at least no DH, so it's not good. I think we know kind of knew that the Phillies coming in were a little bit of a. Um, I feel like it's an unbalanced roster. It's not a bad roster necessarily, but there were some deficiencies that they hadn't really been able to address. And that's probably still the case. I still see the Phillies as one of those teams that, Hey, they could, they could do well enough. There's enough talent there that a good second half might push them into one of the playoff spots. There's a bunch of those teams kind of in the middle of the pack across baseball. It's like, 
hey, it's only 60 games, like you just said. Can't rule anybody out yet. People ask me, oh, is this team done? Is this team done? You know what? Somebody could go 70 and 30 and over 100 games, maybe 65 and 35, still end up fighting their way into a playoff spot. But we're sort of getting to the point where right that that pendulum starts to tick the other way. And it's like, hey, maybe we're running out of time. Maybe if you're the twins, everyone's talking about the twins. I think Derek and I have talked about the twins at least twice on our daily podcast, the baseball daily podcast, where yeah, at some point the twins really are probably just going to run out of time. And maybe if you're, you know, I don't know how much you followed the twins specifically, or if you want to say another team, but are there teams out there that you just think, hey, this is, this is just not happening. We got to turn the page and start thinking about next year. I mean, I think the Nymax are pretty close to that. Um, uh, now, I wouldn't put it past them to play a lot better um, once they get some of these guys back. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a certain point, you start, they already had teensy, teensy playoff odds coming into the season, even with yes. a roster that you would have said going into the 2020 season, you would have said with Madison Bumgarner and they had Starling Marte at the time and Cole Calhoun, they had all these, they'd kind of pushed a lot of their chips in the center of the table and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to go get some guys to pat, pat, kind of paper over our holes of, of our 2019 that won 85 games. And we're going to, we're going to try a little harder in terms of prioritizing this particular year. They, they still have basically that team minus Starling Marte. Um, mm-hmm. and last year, they were not good this year. They have not been good. Um, the clock is ticking on some of these guys in terms of uh, contracts expiring. Eduardo Escobar is up after this year. David Peralta has one more. Um, they've got some guys who are into their arb years already that maybe you think about trading a Luke Weaver or something like that. And I do think if if we get to a month from now and this team is still below 500 on the fringes, not really in the mix for a playoff spot, then Mike Hazen starts thinking about selling, which is what he did last year. That decision kind of got forced upon him after a month just because of the way the season was instructed, uh, constructed. But uh, he's, he's one that doesn't like to take these, he calls them kind of windows of acquisition. There's like the off season, there's the trade deadline. There's these, these times where every team is focused on adding talent. And he feels like if you pass that up, that you are, you're punting on one of the only available times when there is talent out there for you to bring into your organization. So I feel like he will do something and he will have to, to make a call on whether the core of this team is enough to move forward with or whether it's time to get what you can for David Peralta and Escobar and some of these guys, and then kind of recenter around the guy, the young guys who are on the major league roster and then guys like Alec Thomas and all the pitching they have in high A and double A that will be coming up within the next couple of years. Last question I wanted to ask you, and I know you haven't, you haven't turned to look at the, any players for the draft this year, which is, which is fine. That's my job. Well, at least I think it's my job. But the Diamondbacks pick sixth, which is obviously going to be pretty significant for them. You've covered the team for a while, and you know the front office there. Do you feel like we know their draft philosophy now since Mike Hazen took over? What kinds of, whether it's types of players or how they spread their money around, you know, I feel like, and I think they've drafted pretty well since Mike Hazen mm. took over too. But what do you think about, you know, what, is the, what is this team's general attitude or, or philosophy or strategy? Probably strategy is really the word I'm looking for when approaching the draft. Well, I, I would say that the, the last couple of years, it's clearly been go under slot with a guy that with a pick that's in the kind of the middle of the late rounds, which is what they've had. You know, Corbin mm-hmm. Carroll was the number 16 pick. Bryce Jarvis was mm, 22nd or something like that, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, and then they, they always, because of their market, they get one of these competitive balance round picks and that Mm -hmm. allows them to kind of maybe push a higher talent guy 
down to one of those picks. You look at like a Slade uh, Ciccone that they yep. got last year and um, kind of get two first rounders for the price of one. Um, now, I don't know how they do that with such a high pick. Um, because before when they're doing this, the, the kind of the elite talents at the, at the top of the draft, they just don't have access to, mm -hmm. uh, and now they will. And, uh, so I should maybe dig into kind of more what they did in 2017 when they drafted Pavin Smith. I wasn't covering the team at that point. I was still in the mm -hmm. reds. Um, mm -hmm. and so maybe that changes things a little bit because, uh, the, the guys at the top of the draft are, uh, if you can get one of those talents, maybe, maybe you think about maybe re-engineering things to go get kind of the one of the guys who are the, the super elite guys at the top of the draft. Um, what's interesting to me that I'm, I'm trying to, to, to talk to him and I need to follow up with the SID is, you know, they took Matt McLean a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't sign. This was a surprise to many with the Diamondbacks, although it was not a surprise to Matt McLean. And I <laughs> that the, the Diamondbacks were told, this is the number you guys don't have the ability to get to it. You know, mm -hmm. don't draft them. And they drafted them anyway. Now the downside for the team drafting the players, like it's tiny. You just get another pick, and that that pick turned out to be a good player the next year. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's now he's in that range. I've read your rankings. He's in that range where maybe he makes sense at number six. He absolutely would. And it, it's it's interesting to just see if they're gonna if they if fate is just gonna hand them a mulligan to mm -hmm. get this player they like before. Clearly, Matt McLean made the right call because he would have gone in the twenties as a as a high schooler, and now he's going to get a lot more money, a lot higher in the draft. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's feeling good about what he did. And maybe the Dimebacks don't have to kick themselves much about it because they're going to get him on the other end anyway. So mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of interesting. And I kind of want to explore what went on with that, uh, you know, how he felt about the Matt McLean felt about the decision to, to go to college and pass up a lot of money. Um, and so that's kind of interesting to me, just that there's some history there at that position that maybe if they were picking 17th, we're not talking about Matt McLean, you know, that's just, you know, kind of a sliding doors of history thing. Like what, what if something had been different, but now it's, they're going to fates bringing them back together again, maybe. Yep. And the player they did get with the pick, they didn't sign McLean the next year. They got an extra pick. That was Blake Walston, who I think I have actually as their top pitching prospect, six, five lefty who's in high Visalia. His ERA isn't pretty, but he's punched out a ton of guys so far. I know the Diamondbacks people are unbelievably high on that kid um, and we haven't really seen him since 2019 too he's definitely high on the list of guys i'd like to lay eyes on just see how he's developed physically since then too he was 18 the last time everybody saw him and it was all he's very projectable he's really projectable well okay two years later did he project let's we'd love to check in on that guy yeah that's the interesting thing about their system is the i mean the the 2019 draft, they were loaded with draft picks. They had like yep. eight of the top 100 or whatever. And then last year, they had a really good draft. And we, we've seen almost zero of these guys in professional baseball right. you know, before <laughs> this season. And so the, their system ha has kind of undergone a makeover, but has not kind of been revealed to the public. We haven't gotten to that point of the the the, the show, the makeover show. I, I, I don't watch these shows. They're like on TLC or something, but we <laughs> revealed the new look. Yep. And we, we're only just now getting to see kind of what these guys are doing. And I think it's, you know, you get to decide this, Keith, but I, I think they might come up in the farm system rankings because of that. Once some of these guys start performing in front of scouts. Yes, I actually, I could really believe that they're, um, you know, and they have guys like Connor Grammis, who at least so far seem like they are, uh, who is in that one loaded draft where it seems like, no, this, these guys are better than we thought, at least stuff-wise. I mean, Graham's only had two starts this year. We'll see how it goes when the sample increases. But 
let's see if some of these guys, they were supposed to be a lot better last year. Scouts who saw them in instructs or saw them in spring training said, oh, nope, these guys are better than we last saw them. Now we just need to see it in games that, that actually count. Uh, my guest today has been Zach Buchanan. He covers the Diamondbacks for us here at The Athletic. You can and should follow him on Twitter at ZH Buchanan. That's Buchanan like James Buchanan, right? I assume that's your that great is, That is correct. Okay, yeah. perfect. The, yes. Until recent history, America's worst president. America's worst president. I think he's number two now on yeah. that ranking. I feel okay about that. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't already, go out and get that vaccine. <laughs>